today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, he's not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of man show. Warning, the Catholic man show is about to begin. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles in studio. We have a dear, dear friend with us. I've been very excited to have this opportunity to talk to Mr. David Bates, all the way from San Diego, California. Hello, gentlemen. Actually, well, that's where you reside now. Mm-hmm. But where were you residing previously? Where were you born? I was born in the great country of England. Wow. You hide it very well. Thank you. Thank yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's called Great Britain, so you have to use that adjective as often as possible. Yeah, but Great Britain is like something else altogether. It is a little bit more complicated. You've got that. England. I can sort of wrap my head around England. It's still very complicated. Great Britain, I watched a video that was supposed to simplify <laughs> in like three minutes what is Great Britain. And at the end, like throughout the whole video, it's like, oh, wow, okay, okay, okay. And then at the end, I realized, now I know really less about <laughs> I, I didn't realize all the stuff, and so now I'm more confused. Anyway, thank you for being here, Mr. Bates. You're welcome. It's yeah. lovely to be here again. I'm pumped. We, uh, we have a great drink this evening. We do. Well, I'll let you tell the story, Mr. David Bates. Okay, so I run a podcast, Pints with Jack. It's a podcast about C.S. Lewis. And like you guys, we also drink on the show uh, because it's fun. And yeah, mm -hmm. for the longest time, I was trying to find out what Lewis drank. Uh, you know, there's lots of references I found to him really liking beer and him liking whiskey, but I could never get a brand. I could never get a make out of any of the sources. And then I went to a conference up near L.A. and I got hold of a scholar who had an email sent to him by Lewis's former secretary saying what he was sent out to go and buy. And I finally got the answer that Lewis drank VAT 69. Okay, so how did you okay. acquire this? Well, that was, that was another challenge in itself. So I went to Google. That was not very helpful. And then I discovered that to get the original VAT 69, I actually had to go back to England. Fortunately, this past year, I went back to England, and so I just took an empty suitcase and came back with four bottles of scotch. Well played. Now, Sweet. So, now, so they have VAT 69 gold mm -hmm. here in the U.S., but that's not what we're drinking tonight. No, we're, we're drinking the original. 
Okay, and that's what C.S. Lewis Straight enjoyed. up, VAT 69. VAT 69. And you, only, can tell, you can only get it in England. As far as I could get it. Yeah. Which is awesome. Okay. All right. Well, let's... Here, I will let Please, you... Please, yeah, do the, yes. do the honors. Do the honors. Yeah, so uh, you can go check out... You did that just like I think C.S. Lewis would have opened that bottle. I think you're right. I think you're right. That was incredible, just to watch. So you can go subscribe to David's podcast, uh, Pints with Jack... He and Matt, what's Matt's last name? Matt Bush. Bush. Uh, uh, that you guys do episode about, well, your seasons are a little different. You're, you're not consistent every single week, but. We try to be. Yes. <laughs> I have to do the editing, so that's usually where the inconsistency comes in. Yeah. But we try and release an episode every Tuesday morning, because every Tuesday morning, C.S. Lewis would meet with the Inklings at the Eagle and Child pub, and they would drink, and they would talk about theology, philosophy, and university gossip so it only seemed fair that we should do the same thing every tuesday morning awesome totally okay we're on the lord's team the winning side so raise your glass cheers to jesus cheers, cheers to jesus cheers to c.s lewis yeah, as well what kind of toast do you think c.s lewis would give uh i think he really liked scotch so i think it would have been brief whatever it was <laughs> i to your, to your health to your health <laughs> briefly <laughs> <laughs> Mm. What's your what's the nose? You almost spilt it there, bro. The the nose, uh, it's got a lot of is is this peated? I mean, I haven't tried it yet, but I I would say it's got a it's got a trace of it. It's not what I would call a peaty scotch. Yeah, but it's very it's it's smoky. You know, like actually, when when I when I gave some to Marie, she said described it as more smoky than peaty. I agree with that. Okay. And Marie's a very smart woman. So I mean, very smart. Yes. I mean, I mean, for it, so many reasons. So many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also your girl. That's your girlfriend. I mean, that's, for people who don't know, that's one of the reasons why she's smart. Like, if you're not friends with David that's on actually Facebook, actually, a strike against her. But <laughs> outside of that, it yeah. just shows that she's merciful and can overlook faults. Uh, she's very uh, virtuous woman. Mm. Man, it smells good. It now. I, I'm actually going to say I think this gets better. The more of it, well, I think that's, a, that's, that's true for most whiskey. It gets the better the more of it you drink, have. The better it is. <laughs> but I, I do think when you when you get about three or four sips in, it really starts to even out. Okay. Mm. And this is a scotch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a blended scotch. That, like we said a few episodes ago, that is a... Uh, official term for really blended scotch. Hmm. I must have not been listening when you said that. I, I just don't remember <laughs> you saying that. I said that, yes. I have these same conversations with Matt on our show as well. I'll say something as, as you remember in the previous episode, I don't remember that. Right. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the more time you spend with a person, the greater your ability to tune them out, you know, on mo- a lot, on so, on so much, really. Pay attention to the important things. I've never done that to my wife. Naturally. Of course. Of course. You're right. But I do it to Adam all the time. So on the taste, here's some uh, tasting notes that I, I pulled up. It says sugared herbal tea, caramel, bitter mm. oak, and spice. And the finish is so- short, uh, I'm sorry, short and sugary, sweet with alcohol, bitter wood with a touch of licorice. Yeah. I agree. I think the short the finish is short. It mm-hmm. it is a little short. It does have a little licorice there at the end. The licorice does linger a little bit longer than the rest of the like the wood. I don't know. For me, you know, all of these tastes are so 
you you suggest them and all of a sudden <laughs> I can taste them you could you could suggest almost anything and I might say okay yeah I think I can yeah I do taste the burnt tire yes. a little bit of a little bit of discarded battery right yeah actually are you really picking that up <laughs> <laughs> but this is really good yeah I I'll ask you again in about 10 minutes after you've been sipping some more I think you'll say that it's got better well, I really like the smell. When I first smelled it, it reminded me of Ardbeg. Mm-hmm. And so already I was on good terms <laughs> with the whiskey before I tried it. I was a little worried when I first got this because I had no idea how good it was going to be because this was also what Lewis would have been drinking during wartime. So mm-hmm. didn't I know, really know like, about the quality. Uh, here you are. This is what Lewis was drinking. You want it it's like, <laughs> please, for the love of God. <laughs> Be good. I would, you know. If I wouldn't it's, say this is a, a complex scotch. No, I, I would not call. I would not consider it a complex. But it's it's it's, it's not it's not it's not the flattest scotch scotch I've ever had though. No. you know, a lot of Highlands are simpler yeah. than this. What? It's a blend, but is it a blend of they, of I, a variety? We don't know. Yeah, it doesn't I, say. I, at, I tried to look it up. And it, okay, because you know sometimes they'll blend. Scotches of a region or, you know, like similar characteristics together. Mm-hmm. Like Lafroig is still, uh, I'm sorry. Um, White Horse is, is. No, 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 no. Um, Green Label? The one that uh, the guy from Parks and Rec drinks. Oh, Lagavulin. Lagavulin. You know, that still very much has the Isla characteristics to it. You know, it's got other things that is, it has scotches in it that are not Isla scotches, but it still Lagavulin has. Lagavulin is Lagavulin. You're thinking of White you're Horse. You're right. I am thinking of White Horse. Which is it what still I said. has. You're you right. start listening to me more. Is really what. Did this, you even say something? Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, yeah. Lagavulin is just Lagavulin. Correct. Thank you. You're welcome. So we're going to talk about C.S. Lewis today. Excellent. Which is right up your alley. Absolutely. Uh, let's let's maybe jump into the topic a little bit, and then we can pick it up on the other side of the break. So we're going to talk about this This first episode, we're going to talk about C.S. Or C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite. If somebody asked me what my favorite fiction book was, and I don't know. I was can asking, you even call this a this fiction what, book? I was asking David about this when he got here. I was like, can you call Screwtape Letters a fiction book? I don't know. I think that it's probably a subcategory of some sort. Yeah. but Like historical fiction or? Well, it's not historical fiction. Reality fiction. This is this is the it answer. Could be, I would give. It could be historical fiction. You put a put a character at any point in time in history, and this book makes sense. It is in accord with reality of it's, the time. It's one of those books that you can go back to on a yearly basis, and every time you read it, you're like, "Oh, I totally forgot about this," and mm-hmm. this is happening in my life currently. Absolutely, it's it's a cra- it's crazy how, yeah. how I'm falling is. for this trap right now today. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think it's so good to read it, mm-hmm. you know, once a year, once every couple of years, because there's so many things that he dives into that may not apply to your life at that very moment, but mm-hmm. it will at some point. Right. Yeah. I first read this, I think I was 21. Uh, and every time I come back to it, more of it starts to make sense because I've lived more life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we get back, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about C.S. Lewis and jump into the topic. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan and David Bates, all the way from California and England. And England, first England, born in England. I was trying to like I've been trying to remember what it is that I was uh, studying the other day, but it was like <laughs> England has all of like these sub areas that are meaningless now. <laughs> Places that were part of the empire that we have right. some it was ceremonial like, attachment to. Sort of like a like a zip like a big zip code. But anyway. Like overseas territories probably. So I yeah. No no no, it's like in England. Oh, okay. Uh, we have postcodes. Yeah. I'll have to look it up because it's a thing and it's like, oh, I have another British friend. And so I was I, I like to give him a hard time sometimes about how convoluted England sometimes is, and he's like, "No, it's mature," and I said, "That's a good word for it." I'm but a little, I'm a little hurt that you have another English friend. I'll look it up. Yeah, but maybe you guys could uh, like hang out. You know, I probably know you, him. You probably know each other, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. Okay, so we're talking about C.S. Lewis today. We're going to talk about some of his works. I jumped the gun last last segment and was diving into to screw tape letters because I'm really excited about this topic. Let's let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about the author himself, C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Well, contrary to popular opinion, he was actually Irish. He wasn't English. He was born in Belfast in 1898. Uh, he was sent to England uh, for boarding school very early on, just after his mother died. And uh, although he was raised in a Christian mm-hmm. household, he very soon became an atheist as a teenager. And uh, he actually went to uh, France and he went and served in the trenches. He actually went to the front line on his 19th birthday. So that, wow. that was his What present. were you doing on your 19th birthday? <laughs> not, not that. Not, not, not that. Um, not in the trenches. Something not, not fighting for freedom. Right. Not as virtuous as that. No. But he, he served there for about a year and then he was injured. And then he came back to Oxford. He then got all kinds of degrees. And he then began teaching. And he progressively shifted from his atheism. First of all, he converted to theism, primarily through philosophical argumentation. And he has this famous line in his spiritual biography, which is called Surprised by Joy. He describes himself as the most dejected convert in all of England. He finally admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. And he wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> Dang it. I think a lot of uh, atheists can understand that, like, feel that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of converts... If you're, I mean, I think that's a very honest conversion uh, because there's a lot of reasons not to be, at the moment of your conversion, there's a lot of reasons not to be super excited that God exists because there's a lot now that you're realizing is required of you. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to, I like, you know, my crowd at the bar. I like maybe my, whatever, my mistress. I mean, like, think, whatever, fill in the blank that now you realize I'm going to have to stop doing. So I could see why one would not be necessarily very excited. But the fact that you're not excited makes that conversion more authentic. You know, if you can say, hey, I'm kind of upset about this. (laughs) However, I'm still willing to do it. You know, like that's a very real conversion, I think. He wrote, uh, people talk about searching for God. He said, well, for me, it was like the mouse searching for the cat. He, did, he didn't want to find him. Uh, <laughs> but that only took him as far as theism. Okay. So 
uh, a little bit later, he then eventually converted to Christianity. And it was after a long late night conversation and a walk with J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, which I hope you gentlemen have both finished by this point. I'm not going to ask. And <laughs> and uh, another chap called Hugo Dyson. And they basically helped Lewis uh, see that Lewis, Lewis conflated pagan myth and Christianity. And Tolkien and Hugo Dyson managed to show him that in Jesus of Nazareth, myth became fact. The, the way that the pagans had intuited a dying and rising God, well, in this case, it actually happened. And so he then became a Christian and then became this prolific author, writing books across virtually every single genre that you can ever possibly imagine. Uh, poetry, fiction, uh, didactic teaching, philosophy, essays. He wrote everything. So let me ask you this. Was he writing before he became a Christian? Yes. He wrote two books, uh, Dima and Spirits in Bondage. And they were, they were poetical. And he, he actually really wanted to be a great poet. Uh, but when he became a Christian, he decided to pretty much lay that down and just write as he felt directed. And that was actually when he became famous. Okay, because he and Chesterton seem like they have a lot in common in that they were very quippy, maybe? Is that mm -hmm. is that a good word? That They could be succinct, say something profound in just one sentence that like blows your mind. Was he able to do that? Was he, was he saying and doing that before he was converted? He was he was pithy and witty, certainly before. He had gone to a tutor, a guy called Kirkpatrick, which he and his brother called the Great Knock. And it was there that they really learnt logic and argumentation. Hmm. And you can read the letters that he wrote, because he wrote three volumes of letters over his life. And he was definitely very sharp and very witty. But you definitely see a shift in the tone once he becomes a Christian. And he also did radio interviews. Yeah, well, he actually addressed the nation during World War II. So he had written the book, The Problem of Pain, and he was invited onto the BBC to address the nation about Christianity. And so that was what eventually became mere Christianity. So the BBC has really fallen. Yeah, they kind of have. Too bad. Don't know what to say. So, yeah. you, and th so then he wrote Screwtape Letters. Yes, and that was, that was really the work that catapulted him to stardom. It it got him on the cover of Time magazine, and it was it was at that point that his books That's really a big deal. began to sell. Oh, yeah. it's a huge deal. Yeah, some obscure Oxford don who had written some books on philosophy and uh, had written some sci-fi novels and now wrote this strange fiction about devils talking to one another. Okay, this is a dumb question: Is Time magazine American or British? I assumed American. I don't. I thought it was American. I just didn't know. I'm, now, okay. I'm pretty sure it's American. We're pretty sure it's American. Adam? I think so. Okay. Okay, because it's a bigger deal if you're not American and you make it on Time Magazine, especially at this time before, you know, the, the internet has connected everything. So at, at this time, if you're making it on Time Magazine, you had to be making a splash. Yeah. Yeah. And he received huge amounts of fan mail and he dutifully responded to it. He felt that if somebody was going to write to him, then they deserved a response. And that actually ended up being how he met his wife, Joy Davidman. She was uh, an American, and she wrote to him. They eventually struck up a friendship. She then came to England, eventually with her two sons. Uh, she was going to be deported, so he gave her effectively a paper marriage so she could stay in the country. And then she fell ill with cancer, and Lewis realized how much he cared for her, and so he married her properly, so to speak. And uh, then she went into remission for several years after 
one of his priest friends prayed for her. Wow. And uh, and then she eventually died, and that's when he wrote A Grief Observed, which is moving and brutal um, as he's telling the story of his processing of grief. So roughly how long were they married before she died? Three years. Only wow. three years? Mm-hmm. And wow. Lewis himself, he died on the same day as JFK and Aldous Huxley. So and Peter Crape wrote a book on, on this. He did indeed, of the three of them meeting in... Heaven, right, hell, right, right, purgatory, right, in between. Yeah, right, right before the pearly gates. <laughs> yeah, and they had a, they were having a conversation. I can't remember what the book's called, but it's, it's I think really it's between heaven and hell. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a really great book. Anyway, okay, so the screw tape letters is is about two devils. Mm-hmm. How does he come up with this idea of writing a book about two devils and the work that they do? Well, we don't actually know a huge amount about a lot of the genesis of other books that Lewis wrote, but this one we do. Lewis had invited his doctor with whom he was good friends, to over to listen to the radio and to hear a speech by Adolf Hitler. And so this is during World War II, and it's basically Hitler telling Great Britain to get out of the war, otherwise he's going to destroy them. And he noted that while Hitler was speaking, he felt himself becoming convinced, even though he knew what he was saying was wrong, that he had this sort of strange hypnotic ability to start turning him to his opinion. And... Then that Sunday, he normally went to the 8 a.m. service at his church because he didn't like the organist and the preacher at the 11 o'clock, but he overslept. And so he went to a church service that was boring him rigid. And so he was just doodling during the sermon. And that was when he had the idea for the Screwtape Letters. So you have a senior demon writing to a junior demon, his nephew, Wormwood. Um, and it would basically be an explanation as to how the, how the devils tempt us, how they steer us away from God. And it, it's... It's a wonderful book for so many reasons. It's it's very funny, and it reminds us that we are in a battle, as uh, as Ephesians talks about that it's not against flesh and blood that we that we that we fight, but against the principalities and powers. And because it's two devils speaking, everything is flipped upside down. So whatever they say is good is actually bad. Yeah, the enemy is God. The enemy is God. Yes, they talk about our Father below, referring to Satan, and. It has quite an incredible effect on you because you're able to receive this advice, I think, much more easily than if it was if you were simply being preached to as to the good things that you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I think of all the things he's written, not that I've read all of them, but it this book is gives such insight into his own spirituality mm-hmm. because when you read it, it just becomes so obvious that this is not this is a man who has not only experienced these temptations but conquered so many of them because it's only when you conquer a temptation and when you have this what what St. Thomas Aquinas calls the claritas this clarity of vision when you can look back and see things so plainly and he's able to take that and 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 write it in such a way that it's like man yes like he knows deeply the, the action, the actions of the enemy, yeah. the the real enemy, not what he calls the enemy in the book, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when we get back, we're gonna uh, pick this up, talking about the screw tape letters with David Bates. Go check out Pints with Jack on the Lord's team. The winning side. So racial glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sitting here with David Bates, drinking a little bit of Vat 69, Mr. Clive's favorite drink, or drink of choice. And how are you finding it now, now that we've been drinking it for a while? I was going to tell you, I was going to say it a couple minutes ago, but then I thought, no, let me wait till we get back on air. It is really setting in, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really strange. (laughs) One thing I meant to say earlier about the Screwtape Letters, it was actually originally published in a, a newspaper magazine, an Anglican magazine called The Guardian. It was serialized, so you got a, a chapter in each issue. And uh, in one of the prefaces that Lewis wrote later in his life for this book, he tells the story of a clergyman writing into the to the newspaper, the magazine, uh, telling them that he was cancelling his subscription because he said that in those screw tape letters, some of the uh, advice given there was not only erroneous, it was practically demonic. <laughs> It's sort of like on Facebook when somebody is getting all riled up about an, <laughs> a, an, an article from The Onion or Eye of the Tiber or Babylon Bee. Yeah. It's like, yeah, dude, it, it's, it's meant to be. Right. <laughs> like, I think you missed it. I'm going to suggest something here. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I really like about the, the book Screwtape Letters is when he's talking about prayer life. Mm-hmm. So he goes through all these different stages within your life, what happens, like, and the tactics that as a as a devil you should implore or leave alone you know throughout their life to you know make them miss out on grace to make them fall and, and eventually end up in hell mm-hmm. that's obviously the goal and one of the things he's talking about in, in in the prayer life is he focuses so much on prayer life and your feelings mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that so the way the book works is that there is this junior demon, this junior devil called Wormwood, and he's he's assigned to what they call the patient. So this guy who's just become a Christian. And Screwtape is writing letters to Wormwood, giving him advice. And with regards to prayer, he says, if your patient, if this Christian, if he's praying for bravery, uh, let him focus the, on the idea that his prayer is only successful if he feels brave. Basically, that any prayer is only as valuable as the feelings that it evokes within him. And of course, that's terrible advice. Well, it's excellent advice if you're a demon. Uh, But if you're a Christian, that's terrible advice because sometimes you get feelings, other times you don't. Because what God wants from us is, is our will. And sometimes he will give us feelings that will go along with that and other times we don't. And we still have to do that anyway. So he really, really, really says, get this guy to think that his prayer is wasted if he doesn't feel like he's strong or wise or whatever he's praying for at the end. But he also goes after his intercessory prayer. He says he's a new Christian. You're not going to be able to stop him praying for his mother. But we can do some things to basically neutralize these prayers. And he says, well, rather than getting him to pray for his mother's rheumatism, her bad back, let him pray for her soul. And he says, this has some really nice consequences because if he's praying for her soul, he said, with a little bit of uh, suggestion, you can basically mean that to be that he's he's praying about all of the things that she does that annoy him. <laughs> and, he's, and he's praying to God that she becomes better and stops doing these things that she's clearly doing on purpose. And not only that, if he says if, if he's praying for her soul, he says this guy doesn't really have any idea of what a soul is. So it's basically like he's praying for an imaginary person. And so he isn't actually generating charity towards his mother. He says, I have other patients that I have so well in hand, so well in hand, that they can be praying for the soul of their wife or their son one moment and then beating them the next. 
And that's because they've separated the soul and the person so much imaginary, like while they're praying, mm-hmm. that they can't see that while praying for the soul, they're actually supposed to be praying, you know, for the person and then they're beating them. And this is the repeated pattern throughout the Screwtape letters. Whatever this Christian is doing, Screwtape is going to find a way to twist it. And this is a really Augustinian idea, the idea that evil isn't a thing per se. It, it, it is a twisting, it's a privation, it's doing something in the wrong way at the wrong time. And so prayer is just one of the many examples of where, okay, if this guy's if this guy is going to be doing this, here's how we tweak it so that he gets no spiritual benefit from it. And actually, we can lead him a little bit closer to hell. Yeah, and so that's just such a good example of what I was saying earlier about he has this insight into reality. I mean, like he just sees things the way that they are and therefore can see the way that, that the evil one works. Uh, you know, oh, get them to just twist this the way, you know, so that you know, you're, you're not actually being effective anymore. And he also is very right with the way, in reality, that the evil one does work. Okay, because I could see for someone like him who doesn't have, because he wasn't Catholic, I mean, he was very close. He was awfully, awfully so close. close. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he, it's not like he was he had received any training in demonology or anything, mm-hmm. but the demons cannot read your thoughts. However, they can implant ideas into your head, but, but they're also very, very good at just simply looking at you and being able to kind of like, oh, well, your expression on your face. I mean, if anybody has ever been able to read somebody's expression, the demons are a hundred times better at that than we are. Because they're smarter and better. Right, exactly. And they can not only just see your face, but they can also kind of see like your blood pressure and they can see like things that are not externally visible, but that are still signs of fi- your phys- physicality, so to speak. So um, all of those things are present mm-hmm. in this book, which I just find fascinating. And lots of people asked him if he managed to write this book through studying moral theology and, uh, you know, book smarts. And he says, well, you could do it that way. But the where I got all of this stuff was from a, another source. I basically lived it. Which goes See, to, that's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> and so you know, this whole time, this conversation between uh, Screwtape and Wormwood, they're, they're obviously trying their best to get their quote-unquote patient, the person that they're trying to possess and oppress, you know, to hell. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Screwtape gives advice to Wormwood saying like, hey, the road to hell is a very gradual one. It's not something like you don't have to try to make them commit murder. Or adultery, like. Well, he's he's a young demon. He wants to make his patient do something really dramatic and really impressive to to show off to the other demons. Because he's trying to earn his status as a demon. Oh yes, because hell is a dog eat dog kind of. Well, they don't call it a hierarchy; they call it a lowerarchy. But but yes, it is fiercely competitive, and Wormwood wants to get his patients sinning greatly. But as you say, Screw Tape says no, 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 no. If cards will do it. If, if, if this vice is going to be enough, that's great. He says... If playing cards. Yes, if like, play, playing cards is going to be the thing that's going to nurture vice inside this guy, that'll do. He says we want a nice, gentle road to hell with no sharp turns, no signposts. Just just slowly lull him to sleep. Because the fe- for them, the feast will be there if he, as long as he gets to hell. It doesn't matter if he gets there severely or minorly. They want to feast on his soul. I mean, that's is that yeah. 
I, I'm trying to recall. Like that's actually what they want. That's what they want. He, right. They say that that the enemy, i.e., God, in this case, you know, God wants sons that He can love. We want cattle for food. Yeah. Right. And the danger of of him doing something catastrophic uh, would bring his conscience into effect and make him realize, oh no, 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 I did, I've done something wrong, and make him desire repentant, you know, right. to repent. Because mm-hmm. if he tempted someone, if he tempted him to murder, and he did, that murder might. Be the thing that, that drove him conversion. to heaven. Exactly. Yeah, like, that'd be like for his conversion. Saint Paul, and also like the Great Divorce. Let me explain what that means. <laughs> so, in the Great Divorce, there is a there is a character who is in heaven, and he meets somebody who's just arrived from Earth, and he's shocked to find this other guy already in heaven because of that very thing. He had killed somebody, so the other guy assumed you can't be here. But the thing is, mm. sinking that low had been the very thing that had woke him up mm. and caused him to 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 cry out to God. So is he writing this book before or after The Lord of the Rings? Uh, before, because Tolkien took forever to write The Lord of the Rings. So did <laughs> Tolkien, because it seems to me like there's a lot of similarities between Worm Tongue mm-hmm. and Worm Wood. Well, they were also both students of language. So Tolkien was a philologist, so he was all about language. Okay. And Lewis loved it as well. And they have a lot of roots. His his names, the names that Lewis uses for his various demons, in another of the prefaces, he says that everybody has these conjectures as to why I chose this name. And he said it was generally because of the sound. The sound of the name was evocative. So that's yeah, so a wormwood, worm tongue. Doesn't sound like a good thing. You wouldn't name your next child either of those, right? No. Right, no. Correct. Late. Definitely not. <laughs> Both of your wives are listening to this, so you're going to be held to that. Yes. You can hold Deal. me to it. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> but Frodo and Frodo and uh, Aragorn, they're still on the on uh, on the table. Yeah, okay. sure. No, <laughs> they're not off the table in the way Worm Tongue is off the table. <laughs> correct. That's correct. Uh, okay, so speaking about wives, he also talks about uh, the relationship of husband and wife in the, in the fact of you know, okay, use the everyday occurrences to cause them to sin. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Well, he he is in the book. He's talking about it in relationship to the patient and his mother. But is as you, as you point out, it's equally applicable to uh, husband and wife, roommates. Uh, basically, when you're around people a lot, there are certain tones of voice that just rub you the wrong way. There's the way that person just raises their eyebrows. Just you know, they're secretly judging you. And what 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 Screwtape wants is for there to be discord within the house, and he wants. Each of the each of the people, the, both the patient and his mother, to look at the other and the things that they do that annoy them, and assume that they're doing it on purpose, and never once consider the fact that well, maybe they might be a little bit annoying as well. Yeah, it's all about not looking at a self reflection of yourself, but always assuming the the yeah, worst of the other person. Assuming the worst, yeah. You know, the reason why. My, my mother-in-law did this is because she knew I was going to be uh, upset about this and she wanted to get underneath my skin and so that's why she did it. And my reaction may, I, like there's no way my reaction was going to annoy her. <laughs> you know, that, that's, not, that's not possible. There's no way yeah, I'm, it's I'm not annoying. Me. It's not all, me. All I said is, is this all we're having for dinner? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, when we get back, we're gonna continue this conversation here with David Bates. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam and Hannah and Mr. David Bates. What, what? That's the best American I can do. I also have to point that, out, that wasn't I've, got, bad. I've got an American flag behind me. I, I, I should have... Check this out. I should have brought a Union Jack with me. Because you've got all the right colors. They're just in the wrong shape. Needs to be some crosses. Mm. We have crosses in it. We have crucifixes. Okay, that's, that's better then. Yes. In the American flag? No, just in the room. Oh, in the room. I thought you were talking about in the American flag. I was like, I did not know this. <laughs> I'm happy to learn this. Oh, well, in, we don't. In the book of Revelation, the stars are thought to possibly be angels. So maybe that's what's on the American flag. I think those are the ones that are going to go on Mary's crown, those very stars. There used to be 13, which is like her crown plus one. Man, these are deep, the, the profound yeah, connections I mean, you're that's, drawing it's here. It's only a small, it's only a, a reach by plus one. Okay, let's keep going on the top. Okay, so we're talking about the screw tape letters. How long is this book? It is, I want to say 31 chapters, something like that. How? But each chapter is but the, only but like the a, chapters, a few pages. The mm-hmm. point is that it's not a very long book. No. I went to see the play... Yeah. I, I must actually confess something. The only reason I went to see the play is because I thought my wife was going to be there. This <laughs> is when we were dating, okay? And I thought she would be there, so I bought tickets. Turns out I was really glad I went because it was an incredible production. Mm. I mean, the, it was only, I think, five people. It doesn't take yeah. very many people to put on this play because there's not very many characters, but it was so well done. I was totally enthralled. Um, also, the the group that do that, uh, Max McLean, he he was the he's the main actor there, and they've gone around and they've done the Great Divorce, they've done the Most Reluctant Convert, which is basically Lewis sitting in a chair telling his his story, and the Screwtape Letters. Yeah. So if 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 it comes near you, no matter who the no, no matter what the production team is, mm-hmm. go see it because it is not a difficult production to do, but it's still so powerful. You know, if you've get because it only takes a couple good actors to really deliver a stellar performance, mm-hmm. and they really know and love the material. That's right. very very clear. Because there's only a couple actors in it, so mm-hmm. it's it, it's a good one to to go to. Okay, let's talk about one that uh, Screw Tape and Wormwood are talking about, and this will be really good to relate to men in in particular uh, when he talks about passions. He talks about uh, you know so he sees. Uh, his patient going into a, a, a thought that would bring him closer to God. Mm-hmm. And so instead of, for me, I would be like, okay, if that was me, I'd be, uh, get him thinking about something, you know, get him thinking about uh, evil or the problems with God or the problem of evil. Or come like, up with arguments. Yeah, come up with arguments. You know, come up with something, you know, you know more, uh, just smarter than what he's, th- he's thinking. Uh, but that's not what he does, is it? No. He says that what he what he did... So this is Screwtape telling a story of one of his patients from before. And he says he'd been, he'd, been, uh, he'd been working on this guy for 20 years. He was all set to go to hell. And in this moment, he starts seeing a train of thought that it could ruin everything. And he said a lesser tempter would just panic. He said, I didn't. He said, I took control of the part of the man that I had best control over. His appetite. So as the man is starting to have this deep thought about eternal truth, he suggests to him, well, maybe we should deal with this after lunch. 
You know, this is this is too important to do on an empty stomach. Yeah, this is a big thought. This is a big thought. And he says, before he knew it, he was outside of, of the museum where he'd been reading. He sees uh, a bus, he sees a newsboy, and it's completely gone. And this is the reason why we fast. It's, it, it's for self-possession, so that we're in charge of our bodies and not anybody else. And so that if we are about to encounter divine truth and our stomach says, I want to eat now, we can say no, not yet. I and I can relate to this personally so much. There's been so many times where I've thought like, "Ooh, I need to be praying right now," or "Ooh, I need to make sure I, I pray the rosary." You know, I haven't prayed the rosary day. I should start praying the rosary right now. And then something comes up, and I'm thinking like, "Oh, I haven't called this guy yet back from work." Oh, I haven't checked this email. Oh, I haven't checked Facebook. Oh, I haven't. There's this a laundry list of things that I haven't done yet that instantly pops up, and I'm thinking like, "Well." I, I, I don't back. have time to finish this before lunch. You know, <laughs> I, I, I want to do it properly. I want to do like a nice slow scriptural rosary. So yeah, I'll do that a little bit later. Yeah, right. The rosary is totally. That's exactly the thing that I've done that before. And Chesterton says, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Yes. And he doesn't mean really you should do it badly. What he means is, if something is so important, get it done just to some degree rather than waiting to try and... You know, it's the idea of the, the perfect being the enemy of the good. You doing, you doing an imperfect prayer that you might not do quite as well as you possibly could, that's better than procrastinating and then doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've... Let me tell you, I've prayed some bad rosaries. You know, with the kind of the kind of rosary where you finish and you think, was that the fifth mystery? <laughs> Am I done? Did I skip? Did I skip four of them? I think I'm done. You know, like, but at the same time, I did it, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how much I benefited from it. But at least I had the habit, or the there was some repetition there, and I at least had the intent of praying the rosary. And I and I know that. That's better than not praying it at all, you and, know? And you execute it on it, which, as you say, starts forming a, a habit. And that's one thing you see again and again in the Screwtape letters. Screwtape pays very close attention to how well is this man's habits formed. So he's still in the early days of conversion. He's still got a lot of bad habits. He doesn't have as much control of himself as, as he thinks that he does. And so what he wants is he wants those, those small compromises, that, 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 uh, that black and white turning to gray, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, and then on that slow path towards hell. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to form a vice. And this ties into something that Lewis writes about in Mere Christianity. He calls it heavenly and hellish creatures. And his idea is that every decision that we make is actually important insofar as how we choose, how we act, it will turn our inward man, our soul, either a little bit more towards heaven or a little bit more towards hell. And there's the saying that the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. And that's really just time. If in all of the little choices you are choosing virtue, you will become a virtuous man. In all, if in all your little choices you choose vice, you will become a very bad man very quickly. And, you know, I can see if uh, C.S. Lewis is right, like narrating our life, my life, maybe, in that, in, in, in that instance where I decided I'm going to pray the rosary, but then I proceeded to do it poorly, uh, Screwtape would be writing to Wormwood saying, you know, okay, well, if he's going to pray the rosary, at least distract him during the rosary so that he doesn't think about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's already lost a little bit from the very beginning. You know, this is just like, well, okay, all right, fine. Well, he's going to pray, but make sure he doesn't do it very well. And... 
yeah. But, but the thing is, he's still praying. Right, because he even talks about, he's like, it's okay if they have the thought of doing it. Just don't let them actually do it. You know, it's like, if he says, oh, I should be praying more. That's okay. That's right. okay. That's an okay thought. Mm. Just don't let him actually act on that thought. Right. You know? Because the thing about prayer is not that I actually do something, but that God is so swift and uh, perfect in his response to us when we pray. You know, he if we call on him in prayer, he, ima- he reacts immediately and instantly and perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, the demons are totally overwhelmed the moment we pray um, to the degree that God wills which is the perfect degree, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why it's so important to just pray anyway, even if you know, because this is a big debate I've had with myself. When it comes to the rosary, do you pray the rosary in the car? Mm-hmm. I could probably pray a better rosary when I get home. However, it's the big, de- it's, the, it's the debate of, well, Will I actually do it? Will that? I actually do it? <laughs> right. And so I, it's like, well, I'd rather make sure I pray a rosary than not, even a bad one, than not pray a rosary at all. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because Lewis, he imagines the human person, Screwtape says this, but the idea of concentric circles of your imagination and your intellect, and then it's your will. And as you say, the earlier stages are okay. We wouldn't really like them, but it's okay for somebody to, to, to think about that perhaps they should help the poor. It's okay for someone to actually even get quite emotional at the thought of that there, are, that there are people going to bed hungry. He says, that's okay. What you don't want is for him to then act on it. Because when you act on it, then you engage the will. And if you do it once, you can then do it a second time, a third time, a fourth time. And before you know it, you've got a virtuous man on your hands. Dang it. For the demons. <laughs> right. Cheer, uh, for, cheer for the right side, mate. Right. <laughs> so, the, the um, spoiler alert. Here's a spoiler alert. If you haven't read it yet, turn the podcast off and if you don't want to be spoiled. But it ends. The, the book is ended. But now most of the publications has an actual toast or an actual, uh, I don't know what it is. Screw tape proposes a toast. Right. Okay. So, talk a little bit about that. So, I didn't realize this until you told me this. So, Lewis wrote the screw tape letters fairly quickly. Uh, but he said that he he didn't enjoy it. Because he says, if you're writing from the hellish point of view, everything has to be grit, dirt, pain, anger. There can't be any of the transcendentals, no goodness, truth, beauty. So he had to get himself into a mindset, a demonic mindset, in order to be able to write this. Uh. And he said he just found it exhausting. And Despite the success of the book, he didn't want to write a sequel because he didn't enjoy writing it the first time. But then many years later, he was invited to write a toast. So Screwtape proposes a toast. You'll often find it at the back of, of your Screwtape Letters book, um, sometimes in an appendix. But it's basically Screwtape uh, raising a glass and reviewing the year of the demons. A successful year. He said he felt that the quality of souls had gone down quite a bit, actually. Hmm. I highly recommend Screw Tape Letters. Mm. Obviously, you do as well. Absolutely. Also, it's on YouTube. You can John Cleese does an audio uh, records the audio book on YouTube for free. You can go listen to that as well. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for hanging out with us. You're welcome. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass and cheers to Jesus. Cheers to Jesus.